Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Tim and Kathy Keller are back with us. Uh, the Kellers, you, of course, know uh, many, many years as pastors at Redeemer Church in Manhattan. Both Tim and Kathy are uh, New York Times bestsellers. Tim has a brand new book out called Forgive. Why should I and how can I? Tim, Kathy, welcome back. Glad Thank to be you. here. Always wonderful to be here. Thank you. Uh, Tim, let's start with the book. Um, Forgiveness has fallen on hard times. I'll just It seems like, it, especially in a public sphere, if you extend forgiveness to someone, then either you're weak or maybe you're not uh, fully committed to your cause or to your tribe. Um, how, 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 can, how can people who live in that current contemporary culture even understand forgiveness? Well, I think um, the, the, the best way for me to talk to a secular person, someone who actually isn't very religious and they actually think the whole Christian thing about forgiveness is a way of, of avoiding uh, doing justice. You know, uh, it's a way of uh, just being mealy-mouthed and not really standing up for the truth. Uh, what I try to say is, do you ever need forgiveness yourself? That's the main thing I would do. I mean, is there anything in your life that you feel uh, you need forgiveness for, anything that you ever needed forgiveness for? <clears throat> I say if a person says no, well, then I don't have a whole lot to say. Actually, I think at that point, I'm just going to wait a few years because he, he, that person will finally have something, I think, eventually. But by and large, unless you feel like you need forgiveness or that you have received forgiveness, I think it's very difficult to make a case for forgiving other people. So that initial uh, feeling that you have transgressed or you have said too much or done the thing that you said you would never do, that feeling that keeps you up at night or wakes you early in the morning or whatever it is, um, that's just a human condition. Uh, and I understand even without there being a God in your life that you just want to escape it, right? You want to find a way out of it. Um, so if you were talking to that person, Tim, who feels like they need out, um, but but there's no God figure, what would you say? Oh, well, okay. I mean, so they do, you're saying they do sense the need for forgiveness. Yeah, they, they, I mean, it. you know that. Right. It's just the thing okay. that wakes them up at 3 a.m. And they, I shouldn't have done that. I should never have done that. But there's no right. personal God with whom to have a conversation. That's right. Well, at that point, see, I can actually start to talk about the good news. I mean, and I've done that over the years as a pastor, so many cases, where a a person, uh, especially if it's not something, I mean, if if it was very much a personal wrong of another person, they can go to that person and say, would you forgive me? But what if it's something much more uh, that you, you know, you broke your own rules or you you did something, uh, or maybe even to somebody like your parents who aren't alive anymore, then I actually turn to them and say, well, there is a God who can offer the forgiveness. So um, at that point, I would, I, there's no reason to hold back on the, the Christian message at all. Tim, uh, in, in reading about forgive, you, you talk about something, I think, which is key to a, most people's marriages, which is a lack of forgiveness. And, and you talk about early on in your marriage that you used to hold forgiveness sort of over Kathy's head as sort of a power thing. Can you go into that? 
Yeah, I think there's uh, you can say, and I did, you could say, I forgive you. So let's just say one day my wife said, I'm so angry at you, you big blue turnip. And I said, you called me a blue turnip. And then she said, oh, I am so sorry. I'm, you know, I should never have done that. I was, I'm really, I'm sorry. And I said, I forgive you. Then two I months later. I never called you a turnip. Yeah, I know. But, but then, <laughs> excuse me, I'm to trying to use, excuse me, to be fair. <clears throat> two months later, she says something that upsets me and said, well, you know, you called me a big blue turnip. Mm. And see, now that's not forgiving. I'm, I'm pulling it back out of the past and throwing it up in her face. And. I, that's really where I learned a lot about forgiveness. It's actually in the trenches of the marriage. There was no great, big, egregious thing that happened to me, you know, that some people will say, I learned forgiveness because a horrible thing happened to me, and I learned to forgive my wrongdoer. No, Kathy and I really learned about forgiveness inside our marriage. Yeah, just that day-to-day thing. Yeah, Kathy, talk about that. Um, what was, how, how did, have you looked at, at forgiveness over the evolution of your marriage? Well... You know, when you're in a marriage, you get to know the worst about a person, and the definition of of marriage is pretty much you get to know everything about them, and you still love them. Well, how do you still love them when you really see some of the stuff that's not very uh, attractive or or even bearable in some cases? Um, I have to go back to where Tim has the book situated into Matthew 18, where I turn around and I look at God and say, you know, no matter how angry I am about this or that that Tim has done or said or been, I've been far worse to you, God. I have ignored you. I have taken your blessings for granted. I have, um, you know, treated you like a vending machine. Give me this, give me that, give me, you know, and yep. everything that I have treated, every way that I have treated God just so far outweighs mm-hmm. anything that anybody, Tim, first and anybody else that second and 50th and hundreds has ever done to me that how can I stay mad at them when I realize that if it wasn't for God's forgiveness, I would be sunk. Right. But in the midst of it all, right, yeah. when the uh, emotion is there. So so what you're describing, Tim and Kath, of course, this is a classical thing in just about everybody's marriage, right? So is forgiveness an event or is it a process or is it the two things interconnecting with each other, Tim? I would say it's first of all an event and then a process and don't get those two reversed. I'll show you why. Most people say until I feel forgiven, forgiving, in other words, if my anger goes away, I really can't forgive. So they feel like I got to go through the process of forgiving before I actually grant forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that'll never happen (laughs) because you'll stay angry. To to me, you do, you start with the event and the event is a, a commitment not to seek revenge, not to pay back in big ways or little ways, and to turn your own mind away from constantly rehearsing, you know, the the videos of what what the person did, which is one of the ways you nurse your feelings like I was hurt and I was injured and all that. Uh, It's actually, you know, you you feel kind of noble when you think about how you've been hurt, and there's something about the human heart that likes actually almost wallowing in the fact that I was hurt, I was hurt. And in order to, uh, to, to me, the event is to say, because I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not only not going to seek revenge, but I'm not going to keep thinking about it like this. And if you promise that, that's going to be really hard. In fact, you will fail sometimes. But if that's your commitment, give it a few weeks, and you'll say, if you grant forgiveness first, you'll start to feel it. But if you try to 
if you wait to feel it before you grant it, you'll wait forever. So is this a fake it till you make it scenario? You're not faking it because you are uh, you're not faking it because you acknowledge the anger. You're not faking it. But the point is that there's an action and there's a feeling and you're going to give the action before you have the feeling. Mm -hmm. That's not really you know, it's not the same as saying to a person, I love you when they don't love you. And yet my wife will be pretty quick to tell you and you all know that in marriage, very often you should be loving to your spouse, even when you don't particularly feel loving. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's faking it. That's doing what you should do. So it's it's basically forgiving um, first, and then the feeling generally comes later. Is an apology necessary for forgiveness? Um, oh, you mean you mean if the per oh, I see. <laughs> well, now that's a really good question. It's a heck. Of, it's a lot easier to forgive somebody who's repentant yeah. and has said I'm sorry. But Mark chapter eleven twenty five does say. If you stand, this is Jesus talking, mm -hmm. by the way, if you stand and you're praying and you realize you have something against anybody, forgive them. Now, Luke 17 says, if a person repents, forgive them. And some people see that as a contradiction. It's not. In Luke 17, reconciliation, where you get back with the person, that's impossible unless the per person who did the wrong doing repents. But you can forgive internally, even if the other person doesn't repent, though it's a lot harder. Tim, you talk in your book a little about the role that uh, Christianity played in, you know, introducing yeah. forgiveness to the wider culture. Can you talk about that? I mean, it's fascinating. It's something I never considered before. Well, it's not. Yeah. Forgiveness actually is not a um, it's not a virtue in the Greeks and the Romans. And the reason was they. They lack two things that the Bible gives you. One is they lack the idea that that there were that all people are equal in dignity, and they also lack the idea that all people are equally flawed. Mm. And so, if you're a virtuous person, you look down at people of lower social status, of lower honor, and if someone wronged you, either you didn't let it bother you because you were way above them, or you just, you killed them. <laughs> you would, this was a shame and honor culture, and you would take vengeance on them. And the idea of forgiving, uh, it's just not there in the Greeks and Romans. I read, I studied this to write the book. It's interesting. That the, they did believe in what they called excusing as a way of showing what a big person you are, you know, what a, what a mag, you know, magnanimous person you are. It's a way of showing off your virtue by saying, I excuse you. But that's not forgiving. Uh, forgiving is, uh, is obviously saying, uh, this was a wrong, and uh, but I'm not going to pay you back for it. Hmm. So anyway, it's it's fascinating. It really wasn't until the Bible comes along that the human race sees forgiveness as a virtue. Hmm. So I, I wonder about this. You know, as Kath and, and Tim, the two of you together, of course, you know, um, you have public recognition. You're known uh, around the world, and so Tim uh, often, Tim, you know, th this is how social media is. You're attacked, you know, for any number of things. You know, oh, Tim Keller, he's too winsome. <laughs> you read that and you kind of go, really? I mean, you're attacking someone who's winsome, or he's too conservative, right? Or so, he's way too liberal. So then, Tim, you know, you you go, well, I'll, I forgive as I go along because that's social media. But at the same time, Kath, when you see your husband, yeah. you love him being attacked. Is it harder for you to forgive in some ways, even though, you know, the process is already in motion? You know what I'm saying? Okay. 
You know, social media is in a category by itself because I don't really think it's the real world. Yeah. I think people are not the are, the, are their not their real selves um, on social media, and they they don't operate the way they would face to face. And so I'm I have to tell you, sorry to disappoint anyone who's listening who would like to be a hater. We just laugh ourselves silly. Great. I mean, yes, whenever. Yeah. Whenever there's something that comes up, it's so outrageously funny. We just shouldn't laugh about it. But I did want to bring up the fact that the first part of the subtitle, um, Why Should I? You know, forgiveness is going over like a lead balloon in our culture right now because mm -hmm. victimhood is the ultimate status. I am a victim. And the more of a victim that you are, the more honor you have. And therefore, to forgive somebody is to give up your victim status, I, is what it, it's believed to be not really true. It's giving you the agency. It, instead of being a victim, you now have the agency to be something besides a victim. You can you can uh, direct the process of reconciliation. And it's not antithetical to justice either. I mean, Tim, you can explain this better than I can, the difference between um, justice and vengeance. Uh, what Kathy's referring to is the fact that if you go for vengeance, thinking you're going for justice, you almost always overshoot. Mm. It's one of the it's one of the reasons why yeah. you know the place in the Old Testament that says a tooth for a tooth. That sounds terrible until so you realize that if somebody knocks out your tooth, you don't want to just knock out their tooth. <laughs> you you want to knock out all their teeth, and um, because you say, well, how did you do that to me? And the tooth for a tooth was actually a way of saying, make sure that you are only after justice and not vengeance. So I think Kathy's exactly right that because people actually get their identity out of staying a victim uh, and they are seeking vengeance uh, as a way of what they call, think of as doing justice, a lot of people are being really hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. They're hurting themselves uh, by not forgiving. Yeah, and that that suffering as collateral, um, which is the way I look at it, it, it makes me wonder if we're kind of in a Greco-Roman world uh the way you described what it was like pre-christian can you comment on that yeah uh, there's there are definitely some pretty smart people out there saying we're we're sh uh, yeah we're going back into a shame and honor culture where you do not forgive where you you just you just punish the other side and that's how you get your own honor you get honor by showing how strong you are and how you don't let anybody cross your path you don't let anybody come against you you don't let anybody take your power away. And um, that was the, you know, I, I read a really interesting book by a, a historian that said when the monks first came to northern Europe to bring the gospel and they talked about forgiveness, pretty much everybody said, that's ridiculous. I mean, you, you couldn't have a society like that. The only way a society will, will stick together, they shame on or people thought, was if everybody's scared. Everybody's got to be scared that if they say the wrong thing to the wrong person, they're going to have their head knocked off. That's the only way we... We can really have a, a, a you know, a, a, a society that really is cohesive. And I'm afraid we may be going back to that. I don't think you're wrong. And we're a long way from it, but we're in that direction. Yeah, and certainly the media that we're consuming lifts that up as heroic. It does. Uh, and maybe, you know, if you really are consuming media, um, you will see at this point that by at this point, the the I would say conservatives and progressive liberals are almost mere images of each other. Right. I don't. And the thing that bothers me is mo I wouldn't say most. You now, the progressives tend to be secular. 
uh, whereas so many of the conservatives are Christians, and they should know better. So I sometimes, uh, I've been often told, oh, you punch, Tim Keller punches right too much. Well, partly because I'm, you know, a Christian, you're going to have a lot of conservatives. There are people. We, we feel like, come on. Yeah, yeah, I got to say, hey, you're Christians. We, we, you should know better. Mm-hmm. So I do sometimes get, I think, in my heart, impatient. I'm trying when it comes to social media not to pick on one side. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, I mean, speaking about social media, uh, we live in this really weird era of cancel culture. And, you know, cancel culture, of course, is is the wider society. But what about people who you've got a bone to pick, you're upset with someone, and they just disappear? I mean, people call this ghosting, right? So the opportunity yeah. to forgive is never presented because people in your life just go away. Yes, and that's because we've gotten, especially younger people, are so addicted to kind of communicating through the phone or through, you know, media, is that they don't know how to face up. Um, actually, one of the things that happens is if two people are dating, college students who date, very often they don't, they don't want to break up. They just, they just sort of disappear, and they just stop answering, which is really awful. I've, I've been hearing from a number of deans of students and counselors and chaplains and all that that, that that's happening, and it, it is, um, it's really quite wrong. And I do think, so I do think you're right in saying it's not just social media, the content, you know, all the nasty things that are said. It may even be social media, the, the, the vehicle, that, that there's a tendency to say, well, the easiest thing is just not answer the text. Right. And you can't do I that. I think people are, are really afraid of face-to-face conversation, and if, even if it leads to confrontation. Uh, we read an amazing article yesterday in the New York Times where um, people are now fighting. In, married couples in the same house, in the same apartment, go to separate rooms and text each other in order to fight (laughs) rather than actually, you know, having a conversation. They say, oh, it's great because you don't interrupt each other and there's no tone of voice. And they even have a name for it with sexting, F-E-X-T-I-N-G. Which is fighting through text. It's fighting through text. But that The marriage counselors all say it's a terrible thing, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, it's making people more, less and less human and less and less able to act like human beings, to actually intersect with with actual people and have any kind of humanity or compassion or anything, because that's painful, that's awkward, that's right. uncomfortable. And so we've lost our courage in some way to be compassionate and empathetic. Yes, exactly. Yes. I have a couple jobs. One of them is at a church and one of them is here at the station. And about five or six years ago, I felt like there was something off that, uh, between uh, myself and someone I was working with. And it was starting to get more and more frustrating to me until finally, when I was in the car, I decided to call them and to make an old-fashioned phone call. So I called mm-hmm. the person and, uh, you know, I said, I, you know, I, I don't really know how to get into this, but I just have to say, I just, I feel like there's something between us that you know and he said well you're sensing it correctly because the bottom line is i don't like you very much and i said ouch okay and then we went to commercial break (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't john and i thank you but okay that was so i'm i'm not going to relate the whole rest of the conversation but it was extremely uncomfortable it was it was really painful 
Um, but the good news is that now that it's been six or seven years, I'm much closer with that person and have a much greater understanding of that person than I ever would have had if we would not have had that. Um, I'm not eager to have another conversation like that that's that awkward, but I'm not as afraid of it now because I see what it can produce. And having that person explain why they didn't like, just bottom line, I just don't like you, and what I was doing to produce that in him was just so important to my growth as a person. So I guess I want you, uh, Tim and Kathy, to talk about what reconciliation might look like and things that are much more significant, of course, than than that, you know, a little tiff with some, with a coworker. But, but still, the process. But still, the process to me was significant. You know, that's something that I say quite frequently, not like once in a blue moon, but there's a lot of occasions on which I have to say to somebody, do I need to apologize to you? Because I can hurt people's feelings effortlessly without thinking about it. And Tim has been, it's been pointed out to both of us, and it doesn't seem like it's real life, but that with being public figures that we have the power to uh, encourage or discourage people way out of proportion to what we think we do. So I have to remember that, and I don't always. And if I walk pers- past a person and don't recognize them or something like that, it can hurt. And I find myself saying, do I need to apologize to you? Uh, because I don't know how else to open a conversation with somebody with, that there's awkwardness. So I recommend it as a way to go. But, Tim, you're the one to talk about the process. Well, I it does seem to me that you've actually, Kathy, you already gave uh, the uh, a good example when you actually asked the person and you gave them permission to tell you what they didn't like about you or what you had done to um, make them unhappy. And I'm assuming you sat there and took it uh, without immediately paying back and saying, oh, yeah, well, no, here's my list for you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, no, or, I took I it, know. but I just want to make sure that listeners understand how hor- horrific it was. <laughs> I right. mean, I'm not trying to gloss over it and say, oh, everybody should do this because it's great because it was very hard at the moment. But there's the that moment. courage again, right? Yeah. So apology, forgiveness should always lead to or hopefully to reconciliation. Yeah, you do have to start by being willing to um, hear. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I don't, uh, very often, and not, I don't know if that happened in this case, very often there might be something on the other person's side that they could do to make things better. But to start with, I think you are willing to point to yourself and just listen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, in the, the epilogue, by the way, the epilogue of the – not epilogue, excuse me, the appendices of the book, of the Forgive book, actually have uh, conversation uh, examples of what you would do. Uh, how, if you went and you said, hey, is there something between us? Is there something that I have been doing and what they say, and then actually, you need to even say, "Are you? Have you told me everything?" <laughs> you actually do, because unless it's all out, you can't deal with it. Right, and and so this is good. I mean, so this is something that's you're showing a model of of forgiveness, and I think probably in a lot of families, probably most families, we have not been taught how to forgive well. Well, it that's one of the things our sons. Yeah, it's one of the things our sons have said we did right. They they're not shy about telling us what we did wrong. (laughs) But they said that thirty nine, forty two, forty four. But they've said 
You know, one of the things that you did right was when you did when you were over too angry or whatever it was, you apologized to us. You said, "I'm sorry, I did that wrong. That wasn't right of me to do that." And they said that that put actual teeth behind what you were saying as that you believed as Christians that you were able to yeah. say that. I know that we're you're not talking about parenting here. You're talking about forgiveness. I'm trying to change the subject, but. Uh, Kathy and I, with this is not false modesty. Kathy and I would say, looking back, partly because we've been so busy and we have other character flaws, we were below average parents, and so you, you, we kind of wonder why our children are not more messed up. Mm. They're not at all, and we think that probably the only two things that they tell us were important, and I think they are. One is they say you didn't you didn't push your faith down our throat, mm. uh, and the second is that when you were wrong, you admitted it. And I wow. think that uh, I'm not trying to toot our own home because I, I have a long list of things we didn't do well. Yeah, sure. But I'm not going there right now. But I do think that actually admitting and being able to forgive and reconcile was really one of the two main reasons why our, our kids look back on their their upbringing and are still pretty positive. Excellent. Yeah. Wait, so it's a, a sidebar there. So what about self-forgiveness? I mean, that's a big thing too, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, can you talk about that? Because I know, that, Tim, you talk about self-forgiveness. Yeah, I do. You first, Kathy. What, you remember what R.C. Sproul used to say? Um, nope, you better remind no. me. R.C. did our wedding, for those of you who don't know about that. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, R.C. was an old Pittsburgh guy yeah. Yeah, for a while. But R.C. No, R- <laughs> can be a, sh- a, a, a straight talker. And if somebody says, well, I believe God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself, mm-hmm. R.C. used to say, Ah, so you have higher standards than God, do we? <laughs> I, I remember thinking that's a real Pittsburgh bedside manner. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's straight to the heart. But he's right. Yeah. He's right. I think the other way to do it would be to say, if, if for example, let's just say I feel like um, I let them my parents or I really screwed up my career. I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Very often I'm saying, well, you know what? Maybe your parents or even your career is more important to you than than God. Mm. And uh, if you make your career your God, you're essentially your God. You're the main thing in your life. Then that God can never forgive you. You, If you, you, uh, I don't know, if you embezzle or you do something stupid or wrong and then it screws up your career – your career will basically uh, punish you the rest of your life because the only God, the only God that can forgive you is the real God. So I sometimes I look and say maybe the thing that you, you're you doing is there's something more important than God in your life. And that's a little gentler way to do it. But I wouldn't I wouldn't I would take time to figure out whether that's true or not. Tim. Great to Catherine, see you. Great to with hear you from up. you guys. Always good stuff. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.